Our reading this evening is from the letter of Jude, which is at the very end of the Bible. It's the last short letter before the book of Revelation. So you have to find it by looking at the back of the Bible, and then it's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then Jude, and then Revelation. So we'll read the letter of Jude. It's 20, 24 verses, 25 verses, and then we're going to reflect on it together. The letter of Jude, beginning at verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. It's written to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. So that's a wonderful opening blessing. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that the Lord has once for all entrusted to us, his people. For certain individuals, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasonable, unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly, of all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way, and for all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. 
They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We're going to be looking at the book of Jude, the letter of Jude. It is through a general uh, sermon request, a request with a question mark, letter of Jude, question mark. Because, <laughs> yeah, what is all here in the letter of Jude? But then, just uh, an added focus in relation to verse 6, where it speaks of the angels who have lost their position of authority and uh, that he has kept in deep darkness. So we'll reflect on the letter of Jude together this evening. Congregation of Jesus Christ, as we come to look at this letter, it's first very helpful to come to uh, just answer the question, who is Jude anyway? Who is this person? Do any of you know, actually, who Jude is? He's a brother of James, right? And James was a brother of Jesus. So Jude is an actual brother of Jesus. So if you think about that, that, okay, a biological brother of Jesus. If we look at other biblical references, May, Matthew 13, verse 55, gives this account where, where the people are talking uh, about Jesus and are saying about him, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude? So there they are. And then in Mar Mark 6, verse 3, it says too, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, uh, Joseph, and Jude, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So there's a, there's a picture of, of who Jesus is right there and his family, and we have very much uh, the understanding too. Jesus became human like us. We are born in families. We have brothers and sisters. Do you have brothers and sisters, Jimmy? Yes. You do. Jesus did too. See? And do they pester you? Not too bad, eh? I wonder, maybe Jude pestered Jesus a little bit, hey? Maybe, maybe not. Just a normal family, Jesus, like us, 
entering the world, having brothers and sisters. But if you just reflect on it just a little further, Jude makes reference in the letter to his brother James. But he doesn't say Jesus is his brother. He mentions Jesus first, very deliberately, but he mentions Jesus as the one for whom he is a servant. So Jude could say, I'm famous. I'm the brother of Jesus. But he doesn't. He's very humble, very worshipful of Jesus, knowing even there that the central connection that he has to his biological brother Jesus is a faith connection. That's first. That's foremost. And so he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, also identifying with us as servants of Christ. But very humble, a very humble presentation of himself when he could have claimed to be even closer than an apostle. The apostles, they traveled with Jesus for three years. Jude grew up with him. But Jude, still very much humbly a follower, a servant of Jesus Christ, 1 verse 1. In verse 4, he calls uh, Jesus uh, the sovereign and the Lord of all, recognizing Jesus as, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. In verse 17, he affirms the teaching of the apostles. He says... Uh, he says very clearly that we are, we are to listen to the teaching of the apostles, Jude 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. So their teaching is absolutely vital and true. And he speaks uh, towards the end, verse 21, of Jesus who gives us eternal life. And in verse 21, uh, 25, Jesus who is true God. And so, in all of this too, yeah, Jude is a brother of Jesus, but he is a servant, a believer, knowing Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So that's first of all. Then, who is Jude writing to? Jude is writing to the believers, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, and who are, are kept for Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a faith community he's writing to. But maybe more specifically those who have some biblical understanding. Because did you notice in the letter how often he refers to the Old Testament stories? Like over and over again in verse 6, he speaks about deliverance from Egypt, the story of the deliverance from Egypt. Verse 7, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 9, he speaks about Moses. You need to know the story of Moses, the death of Moses. You need to know about Cain in Genesis 4, because he mentions him in verse 11. You would need to know about Balaam in Numbers 22, and Korah in Numbers 16. And so he's, he's referring back and forth always to the Old Testament, always, and the thought is, the idea is, that the people he's writing to would know these Old Testament references 
and would be able to receive them and understand them. And, and like he doesn't explain them. He doesn't go on and explain, oh, Balaam did this and Korah did that. He expects that those who are receiving the letter will know and will say, oh, of course. Balaam's story where he was called, paid money to curse God's people. And, and so it says in relation to Balaam, don't fall into Balaam's error for profit that he, he turned against and was... So all of these things are, are indicating too, writing to people who know, yeah, that Old Testament scripture. And for us, as we read the letter of Jude, it reminds us that we need to be strong in the whole Bible too. That we don't just look at the New Testament, that we need, we need to know the Old Testament, the two Testaments, and strengthen, guide, interpret, help each other. And so as, as he makes reference to things of the Old Testament, we are encouraged to be strong in that, to read and know and understand and, and to keep things of the whole Bible in mind. I was reading just the other day in relation to the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus and when uh, Jesus came and said that, that he was fully human, people could understand that. People could see him and touch him and talk to him and they, they could definitely just recognize Jesus was a fully human being. But for them to understand that he was truly God, you need the Old Testament. You have to have the Old Testament because everywhere in the Old Testament it talks about God's working with his people, God's building into their lives, God's plan to come in the Messiah. And so all of that, the Old Testament promises brought the truth that this was truly God come to save. And without the Old Testament, that side wouldn't be as, as strongly and understandable. And so that tie between the Old and New Testament, very, very vital and very strong. And we see that here in the letter of Jude. We uh, also, uh, Barb and I are going, we're going to be going to Egypt and, and, uh, and Jordan and Israel. We have opportunity to do that in the next number of weeks. We'll be leaving in the middle of March and, and going to the end of March and uh, end of May. And it's, it's a study tour, basically, of the Old Testament, of what, what is going on. It's only two days in Jerusalem. It's mainly the Old Testament stuff in Egypt, in Jordan, and so coming back to, I, I hope to, to just delve into that with you again as we reflect on what it is, the, the full significance of the truth of God's word in the Old Testament. The central purpose of the letter of Jude is to warn believers about the threat of ungodly living. And you probably notice that in verse 15 where it speaks uh, that God will judge everyone, all the ungodly, in terms of the ungodly acts they have done in ungodly ways and the ungodly words. And so, so that is, is one of the key purposes of the letter. And that continues to speak into our lives as well. Part of the, the 
the context, the cultural context of the letter was in, in a culture that, that was attractive to people, that it drew them away from faith. And that's also in our culture too, where, where things of, of this world, things of, of uh, opportunities and pleasures and things draw us away from a sincere following of God and draws us into ungodly living. And instead of living for God, we start living for ourselves. And so that's really the, the central uh, warning in this letter that, that continued to resonate even as uh, the church has read it through the ages. Let me just give you a brief outline of the letter. It begins with verses 2 to 4, a warning against godless people. And then in verses 5 to 7, it gives three examples of ungodly people being judged by God. Evil King Pharaoh, uh, the evil angels, and the evil cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So those who are ungodly will be judged. And then in verses 8 to 19, it gives a description of ungodly people. And so various, various nuances there in terms of, of what they do. They reject authority. They are abusive. They, they um, speak arrogantly against the things of God. Uh, they are all kinds of, of different things here. Verse 16 too. Grumblers, fault finders, uh, following their own evil desires. So he goes through what, what the ungodly life is. And then at the end, he switches, verse 20, to the godly life. Instead of breaking down, you build up. That you are a person of prayer, person of the Spirit. That you keep yourself in God's love. That you are merciful. So all of these things are are put together in terms of, okay, beware of the ungodly and then go forward to live a godly life. So his letter focuses on those uh, areas of, of Christian living. Now there is in the letter some things that are difficult to understand. And so, for example, in reading through the letter of Jude, take uh, verse 9. Verse 9 of Jude, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so he's, he's talking about how ungodly people uh, say slanderous things against God. And there is no God. And why are you wasting your time with God? And then he, he is giving this example that even the archangel Michael, when he was confronting Satan against uh, what Satan was saying, then he, he was much, much humbler and, and carefuler, much more careful. And so, so that's within the general theme. But where, where does he get this from? Did you know that the archangel Michael disputed with the devil about the body of Moses? It's not right away 
It's not anywhere in the Bible. It's mentioned here, but in Deuteronomy 34, verse 5, it simply says that Moses went up on a high mountain. He died. God buried him in the valley of Beth Peor. And no one knows where the grave is. So that, so that you can't go there like a shrine. And you can't say, I'm going to Moses' grave and I'm going to pray there and maybe my prayers will be heard. So, so the grave is not known. You can't find where Moses was buried to make it some kind of ungodly, magical shrine. So that's what we know. But we don't know about the archangel Michael and disputing with Satan. So where did Jude get this from? Well, it turns out there was a book written in relation to the life of Moses called The Testament of Moses. And someone had written that relating to Moses as a great man. Definitely, Moses was a great man of God. And so someone had written this book, A Testament of Moses, and this book was available to people in that day. It was part of the literature of the day. It was a recognized work reflecting on the things of God, the things of the Bible. It wasn't part of the Bible. But in this, they kind of added some thought, a little more speculative and the actual story in the testament of Moses is that God sent the archangel Michael to bury Moses but Satan intervened and when Satan intervened he said you can't do that because Moses was a murderer so Satan intervened and said really he's a sinner because Moses murdered the Egyptian. If you know the Old Testament, Moses murdered the Egyptian, remember? And buried him in the sand. And so, so the story in this Testament of Moses brings that up and puts it in, in the context of Satan challenging the archangel Michael that, that Moses doesn't deserve a, a godly, decent burial, really, because he's a sinner, and then Michael rebukes Satan in the name of God. God has forgiven Moses his sins too. And so it, it's, it's an added nuance. It's not taken as biblical truth, but Jude is taking that story that people would know and he is making reference to it to make a, a biblical point, an example of humility. And that's the thought in relation to how it ends up here in the letter of Jude, where the archangel Michael speaks carefully to Satan, and, and the contrast would be ungodly people are bold and rude, denying the things of God and faith in Jesus. And they will be judged. So that is one example. There's a second one in terms of Enoch in verse 14 and it talks about Enoch the seventh from Adam who said see the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and there was another book 
the book of Enoch that people also knew? And in a similar way, the thought is Jude recognized that people knew this book and he made reference to it in order to make his point, which was a true godly and good point. So, so what do we do with that? It's, it's like if, if I make a reference to, to say, a book by C.S. Lewis. And, and C.S. Lewis is a godly writer. And if I make a reference to Narnia. Have you ever heard of Narnia? Oh, it's books. There's movies, too. But yeah, Narnia is a story about good and evil. And, and it, it's... It's a biblical working out of things, trying to make a point, right? So to make a reference to it, not to say that it's biblical in the sense of the equal to the Bible, but it, it can help our understanding of things. Or if I say to you too, Bill Hybels, who, pastor, written a good deal, talks about the ministry of the church and says about the church that, that as the church seeks to do God's work carefully and well, there's nothing better. There's nothing better that, that brings forward the work of God. So you can reference someone who's talking about godly things. And so here in the letter of Jude, that's the understanding of what he is doing. He is bringing in things that the people would have read and known about to make his basic, basic point, not agreeing with all the details of what's in those books, but making his point regarding godliness and ungodliness. So we could accept that with that understanding. <coughs> two things about that. These two references were... When, when, when the Bible was actually put together uh, very thoughtfully, very prayerfully, the letters of Paul, uh, the letters of John, the letter of Hebrews, the letter of James, there was more discussion about the letter of Jude. Prayerful, thoughtful discussion. Is it inspired part of God's word? And its central message of Jesus as Savior and the warning against ungodliness and it's, it's many resonating truths out of the Old Testament uh, made it uh, well received by the church. And so it is truly part of God's precious word to us. But it, it, it does have these things you wonder. What, what was that exactly? What is that exactly? The, the application, I think, of, of the reality of those verses is to when we read different things, it's okay to read other Christian authors in relation to biblical things. And it can be very encouraging, very helpful. It helps us to understand. And so if, if you read things by uh, R.C. Sproul, or if you read Christian magazine, if you listen to Christian music, that, that different things can speak into your life that way as well. And we continue to judge things by the truth of the Bible, but that there are other references we can make is, is okay, is good. So we receive that as well. In a time when there is a lot of uh, very encouraging Christian literature that we can take advantage of.
So what about the evil angels here, bound with everlasting chains and kept in darkness? Jude chapter 6. Jude verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. This is the, the second of three examples of rebellion against God. So the point is that this ungodly turn by the angels, they were there in heaven with God, and they rebelled, and they will be judged. They will not prosper. They will be held, and they will be judged for their disobedience. So this is a picture of God's justice that, that holds true for heaven and earth. It says they rebelled against him and he punished them with imprisonment. So the sense he will not hesitate to punish ungodly people. So what, what or, or ungodly created beings in that sense? People or angels. So what did they do exactly? In the parallel passage in 2 Peter 2, verse 4, it says that the angels sinned. In heaven, among the angels, some angels sinned. Here in Jude, it gives a little more detail. It says they gave up their high position and abandoned their heavenly home. So what does that mean exactly? Some people feel that it ties back, like, like the rest of Jude, Jude is, is referencing Old Testament things. So some people feel it's a reference to Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. And in Genesis 6, it says, The sons of God married the daughters of men and fathered giants that corrupted the earth. So is that what happened then? Is that what Jude is thinking about? That, that the angels uh, were attracted to, to human women and came and, and, and had immoral relations with them and created these giants. The problem is angels have no physical body. They are, they are spiritual beings. And they do not procreate. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 30, that, that they don't marry. And there are no angel children. They are, they are just angels. There are no angel families. There are no angel children. And so why they would then be attracted to human women, it, it all becomes a little uncertain. And it's less... <coughs> less uh, convincing. Another line of thought that is uh, based again on the Old Testament goes back even earlier in Genesis to Genesis 3. And it is along the lines of Adam and Eve. And so the, the comparison is that like Adam and Eve who wanted to be like God, and 
sinned, so the angels in heaven, some of them also, that similar sense of pride, that similar sense of wanting to be like God, and so they gave up authority and their home in heaven, so we would say too, they, like Adam and Eve, were kicked out of the garden. So the angels, the fallen angels, gave up their place, their home in heaven. And so they move out of the perfection of heaven into, into the misery of sin. So that would be the Old Testament kind of helpful equivalent of trying to understand what, what may have happened. We don't know exactly. It doesn't say exactly. But that would be uh, a connection like Jude makes to the Old Testament in different places and that is in the background of recognizing the fall of man, the fall of humanity, and equating that with the fall of also those in the angel realm. Out of all of that, Jude's point is that those who disobey will be punished. And so our, our understanding, the Reformed view in relation to uh, this verse in terms of the angels is that they are also as fallen angels, that they are uh, as rebellious, uh, they too will be punished. That's the reality. And so the Bible talks of Satan and, and the demons locked, locked up. The, it is a more general sense of locked up in the sense that, that though as, as fallen, definitely, um, though still able to cause evil. So in, in the picture of the Bible, the, the fallen angels, Satan and the demons, are still able to do something. They are still active. Jesus confronted them in his ministry especially. And so we would say the ungodly, rebellious angels are, are living in spiritual darkness. So when it says these he has kept in darkness, so they, they don't see the truth, they don't recognize Jesus, just like when we read in John 1, the people in darkness have seen a great light. So these angels, Satan and the demonic, are still in that darkness. They are in that darkness. They do not see what God is doing and they will not recognize the work of Jesus. And so that would be our understanding of, of the darkness. He has kept them in darkness. And then the everlasting chains for judgment would be that they are firmly chained to a sentence of divine judgment from which they cannot escape. And so that judgment is certain, that judgment is sure, they will not escape being judged for their denial of God. And even as Jesus uh, had authority over the demons, so on the final day he will have the final say. 
and they will be judged. So this example falls in with the other two examples of those who deny God are subject to his judgment. The the opposite side of that is that as we see that, realize that, recognize that reality, we seek to live godly lives. And that's why Jude 20 and 25 focuses on that. Giving thanks to God to recognize his saving work, to recognize Jesus, to come out of darkness into that light, and from there to strive by the Spirit to live into God's will. And so what does that mean? Out of the letter of Jude, many things, but just to highlight, uh, it means to know the Bible, to strive to know God's Word, Old and New Testament, and to humbly reflect on its full understanding, presentation of all that God is doing. So that is, first of all, a a real sense of of God's revelation to us, continues to, to guide us and lead us in what he has done and continues to do. Secondly, that, that we can take advantage of good Christian books and, and good reflective material to grow in this knowledge as well. The Bible and, and as God continues to lead his people in that way. And then it, it comes with with just things like being strong in prayer, living prayerfully each day before God, being sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. We continue to trust in the Spirit's leading as we reflect on things of faith and life, that we keep ourselves in God's love, and that we continue to be merciful to those who doubt, verse 22 that reality of of working with people carefully and well and drawing them out of the fire, out of the uh, falsehood of of ungodly living into the light of Jesus' love. So those kind of things continue to be our desire. Jude, as the brother of Jesus, focused his letter, too, on that central truth, that as we look to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he will continue to live in us by his word and spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth in Jesus Christ and the truth of your word. We pray that you would always continue to work in us by your word and spirit, and that as your word continues to reveal to us more and more all about your love, all about your truth, all about your justice, that we can fully uh, trust in your presence and care and leading. Lord, we pray that you would make us uh, godly followers of you. We pray that you would help us to stand against the temptations of an ungodly world and that as we seek to serve you carefully, thankfully, joyfully each day, that we would honor and glorify you. Forgive us our sin and keep us in your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.